All right, TJ, so we're here this morning. You, you guys have a seat at the table. We have a seat at the table. TJ, would you open with prayer for us? So it's about your heads. Heavenly Father, we are grateful um, that you have called us here on your day that we may celebrate your presence, your being, that we may truly worship you, Lord, in spirit and truth. Mm -hmm. We ask for your presence to abide with us, with Nathan and I, with the congregation, with those watching us as well, that you will lead us. I pray that we will be willing participants for what you desire of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I am so excited about continuing today's, continuing today as we move into this, this study, specifically today, repairing the breach. It actually has become two parts, repairing the breach, because there's so much to unpack. We're gonna jump in to, with Isaiah 59, and Isaiah 59, this is, let's see, this is verses one and two. This is the next chapter in after Isaiah 58. Notice the beginning. And just as a preamble, remember Isaiah 58 begins with this challenge to God's people to repent. And as part of that challenge, God notes that his people seek him daily. They, God says, you come to me, you want to know my ways, you want justice, you want good things to happen. And then Isaiah 59, God identifies the location of the problem. And I find this fascinating. The text says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. In other words, the location of the problem Israel is having isn't because God's sleeping or God's inept. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So it was Israel neglecting loving neighbor that was the cause of the trouble they were experiencing and the lack of divine response. You know, what this reminds me of is uh, the text we referred to last week, which was um, Romans chapter 1 where we kind of listed all of these uh, sins, right, or this darkness that had encompassed humanity. Um, and in that darkness, there was a misconception of mm. who God was, right? So the sins that the people had uh, participated in, in separating them, causes them to have this misconception of who God is. And in that, right, they cannot hear his call for what, mm. he, really, what he really desires for us to do. That's powerful. So we're going to jump in as a matter of, of recap and introduction. We're actually going to go to Re Revelation, yes, Revelation chapter 3. And uh, would you read that for us? Revelation sure. 3 and uh, just read uh, through 17. Okay. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor, nor cold, I could wish you were hot, excuse me, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, miserable, poor, blind and naked. So for Seventh-day Adventists, um, 
we've commonly understood this text as an assessment of the church, not just the Adventist church, but of Christendom in our time in history. As before the coming of Jesus, the church is in this place of feeling really good about itself, but actually being naked, blind, miserable, poor, etc. Right. There's this perception of spiritual prosperity, mm. of well-being, right? Whether it be because of the knowledge that we have or the programs, whatever the case is, there is a feeling that I don't need anything else because I have enough. And God is drawing a contrast to that to saying, no, no, you're actually in a completely different situation than what you think you are. Last night, the story came to mind as we were talking was the emperor with no clothes, mm. right? Someone has convinced them or they've convinced themselves that they are adorned, right, gloriously, right? But in reality, they are not. Hmm. And God is calling them back to what their actual condition is and how to correct that condition. Right. So the fascinating thing between Isaiah 58 and Revelation 3 is the similarity, the parallel with God's people in Isaiah 58 found themselves in the same place of feeling good spiritually, but actually being bankrupt spiritually. And so that's why we're calling your attention to Revelation 3, because it's profoundly parallel. Mm -hmm. I I came across, actually a friend sent me this, this, uh, a link to this blog. This is on uh, Anxious Bench. And the author makes this observation in this article. Perhaps the greatest question Christianity should answer today is not whether or not it is true, but whether or not it is trustworthy. Perhaps the greatest threat to the church is not the skeptic, but itself. That's a pretty profound indictment of the church. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is what... What is the perception of Christianity out there? And is it warranted? What have we done to change that? Mm. I think there's a pretty negative perception um, amongst non-Christians about who we are. How much have we contributed to that in the world? Mm. So we're going to continue our text in uh, Revelation 13, 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich white garments that you may be clothed, that, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So here's the solution. This true witness that comes to Laodicea who assesses their condition, his counsel is to buy three things. It's interesting, this buy language, there's an exchange of giving something up Perhaps it's their self-trust, their, their self-delusion in exchange for true riches. Three things. Faith, uh, gold refined in the fire, which is a reference to faith. Faith that looks to the living God instead of faith in one's own resources. Number two, white raiment, which is a representation of God's righteousness in place of our righteousness. And number three, eye salve or eye anointing so that sight is restored. That third one is a reference to the Holy Spirit that helps us see ourselves as we are. But it's also a second thing. It's so that we see our neighbors 
as they are and in Isaiah 58 that we see the naked and do something about it, that we relate to the world through the eyes and heart of God. Yeah, and I think that's, that's where the real parallel is. The, the idea of righteousness that I think that I've always thought about was focused on me. What mm-hmm. am I doing, right? What am I doing to, for, for myself to come closer to God? But I think the parallel that we see here in Revelation 3 and Isaiah 58 is God is saying, the righteousness that I'm seeking is how you impact those around you, mm. right? The right doing that you're doing for those that are less fortunate. Mm-hmm. That's right. And we even have, a te- have, have this from Matthew 9, 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So that contrast between what God's looking for and what sometimes as the church, we think God wants. Now we find ourselves looking at some comments by Ellen. T.J., would you read this for us? The badge of Christianity is not an outward sign, not the wearing of a cross or a crown, but it is that which reveals the union of man with God by the power of his grace manifested in the transformation of character, the world is to be convinced that God has sent his son as its redeemer. That's pretty powerful. So we saw this in the text of scripture we saw this in the blog post, and now we see it, Ellen saying the same thing, that the way we treat others is the argument for faith in Christ. Right. And there's more to the, there's more. No other influence can surround the human soul as such power as the influence of an unselfish life. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. Now, we couldn't help ourselves. We actually have to include a little bit more here, and it's this one. I spoke to the few assembled upon the Sabbath from Isaiah, from Isaiah 58, showing that the message given by Isaiah, so she's speaking to a congregation about Isaiah 58, and she says that the message given by Isaiah was to impress the self-righteous who were trusting in their fasts and their prayers that there was a work neglected which was mercy and love for God and love for their fellow men. One, our reliance in Christ cannot be partial. It cannot be accompanied with large self-confidence and exalting excellences in self. When the human soul lies low at the foot of the cross, then the world's Redeemer can be seen distinctly by the eye of faith in His matchless love and his glory, self is humbled in the dust. We've talked before about sometimes how much we've put, how much emphasis that we put on our programs, our revelation seminars, handing out tracts and things. But what I read here tells me that to truly have the impact that we desire, that character change, that transformation mm. is what's needed. Right? Because we can go out there and we can do all of these things, but the key is for the world to see Christ represented in us. How can we go out to a world and talk about a Christ that we have no connection with, that we don't resemble and don't reflect? So we've talked about this, and actually at least one person has asked us about, more than one person has mentioned it. It might feel like with our emphasis as we're talking on outreach that maybe the church body is being overlooked. And that's 
never the intent. I think one of the, one of the, the concerns that I have is, is because we've been so lacking in our outreach, right, um, that there is this misconception that because we are now starting that, we are going to somehow forget those inside. And that's never the intent, right? It, it, it is a, the work is a symbiotic relationship, right? As we do outside, we begin to recognize inside what needs to be done. Um, the story that we brought up was uh, the shepherd that leaves the 99 sheep to find the one, right? Those 99 are cared for, right? Yeah. That is a given, right? That, that, that the responsibility for us as Christians is to take care of the ones inside. But there is that one, right, represented by the rest of the world that must be attended to, right? So as we go out and seek them, the 99 are taken care of. They're not forgotten about, but we must go after that one. Yep. So we're actually going to add to, I told you this is an open-ended series, we're actually going to take time to, to probably one or two messages, but one for sure called the gathered church, asking ourselves the question, what's the place of caring for the people of God in the context of Isaiah 58? How does that all fit together where we have a thriving local body that cares for its own and engages in the mission of Jesus. How does that all go together? So we're actually going to devote some time specifically to that. That's a really important part of the conversation. And by the way, if you're, as you're listening, if you're hearing things or wondering about things, ask us. Because maybe those are areas that need explored or pieces that need to be followed up. And that's part of the saying, hey, What's the big picture here? And so, so we're, we're going to talk specifically about the gathered church and what that means and how it interfaces with Isaiah 58. All right. Yeah, one last point I'll make on this is that um, that, that influence of an un- unselfish life that she references, it really perpetuates a cycle, right, of giving and receiving love. Mm. So I think that's why it's so imperative that that is our focus. Again, the example of the unselfish life is Jesus, right? Yeah. Willing to give everything and anything, right, in order to secure our salvation. Absolutely. So now we find ourselves back in Isaiah 58, and we're picking up this text, Isaiah 58, verse 12. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. So the people of God, as they engage in the work of God, the fast of God, caring for neighbor, they get this this title. The people around them see what they're doing and they give them this title, and the title is Rebuilder and Restorer. DJ, what what does it mean to be a repairer of the breach? It's an interesting question, and I'll ask a question against that. What is a breach? something broken, right? The Webster's definition, an act of breaking or failing to observe a law, agreement, or code of conduct. We haven't read the text yet, but I would ask this question. For anyone that is familiar with Isaiah 58, is there a law reference to in Isaiah 58? The Sabbath. So the breach is in the Sabbath, not just in the normal activities that we might attribute to Sabbath. Because that's what they've been doing. It is in the actual observance of Sabbath. 
the way that God desires it, not that we have. So I know where you're going with this, but I'm, I'm going to preempt mm-hmm. and, and, and give you an on-ramp. I was looking at the text of Isaiah 58, the Isaiah 58, 13 and 14, and, I, and I'll just, I'll, I'll jump there real quick. Here it is on the screen for you. It seems to be kind of this, almost a lurch in the text. You read, care for neighbor, and I'll bless you. And then if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, it feels like this disconnected, just, just jerky shift. And then I read something by Tonstad. Sigvi Tonstad wrote a book, and uh, the book is called The Lost Meaning of the Sabbath. Let me put it up for you, and then I'm going to tell you what dawned on me in Isaiah 58. Here it is, Sigvi Tonstad. Interspersed in the unflattering story of decline, a number of the prophets give a glimpse of how people came to regard the Sabbath, telling the story as though the Sabbath in their eyes is a bellwether issue. That's fascinating. The Sabbath, as God's people related to it, was a canary in the coal mine. So I'm looking back at the text, Isaiah 58. And I notice this, and I'm just going to flip to the, chat, to the passage, Isaiah 58. Here's what I noticed. In the text, there is a crescendo taking place. So that crescendo begins if you start around verse 6. God talks about the fast he's looking for, and um, verse 7 is a good example. The fast he's looking for is sharing your bread with the hungry. And then the corresponding blessing, verse 8, your light will break forth like the sunrise. Now watch the crescendo. God comes back to the hungry part, but he does it uniquely. Notice in verse 10. So verse 7 said, if you share your bread. That's, a, that's, that's pretty easy. I just, I've got lunch and I give you part of my lunch. But in verse 10, it says, if you, and this is ESV, really good translation of this passage, if you pour yourself out for the hungry. Do you notice the crescendo? In the first time feeding the hungry is mentioned, it's just give some of your bread to the hungry. The second time feeding the hungry is mentioned, it's pour yourself out. Now it's not just giving a piece of bread. Now it's this radical giving of yourself to feed the hungry. So we have this crescendo of sacrifice in meeting the need. But notice, there's a corresponding crescendo of blessing, and and that comes in verse, uh, let's see, here's the example here. It's, uh, yeah, verse 10, the last part of verse 10, then your light, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. The first time the blessing, you give your bread, your, your light rises like the sunrise. You pour yourself out for the hungry, an accelerated gift, a uh, sacrifice. The blessing also accelerates. Your gloom is not like the sunrise, but like the noonday sun. So more giving and more blessing. That crescendo continues with what appeared to be a detached peace. Notice this, the final crescendo, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, so then God says, listen, if you really want to reach the height of sacrifice, get the Sabbath right, and everything else falls into line. 
Because in Isaiah's mind and in God's mind, the Sabbath is not just a day of worship. The Sabbath is a way of living and relating to God and people. And the Sabbath forms this space in which we are equipped to live the Isaiah 58 fast of loving neighbor. Yeah. And yeah. notice that you're going to get there. Notice the blessing. Remember the blessing crescendos. The first time your light will be like the sunrise. The second time your light will be like the noonday sun. The third time you will ride, uh, you will ride on the heights of the earth. So this crescendo of sacrifice goes up. God's saying, listen, if you really want to get this right, get the Sabbath right. And then he says, the corresponding crescendo of blessing is now not only will you have like noonday sun, but you'll be riding high in the earth. Right. And I think when we had our first session, we talked about reading Isaiah 58 as one, one, one chapter. Right? Not taking bits and pieces, which we, I think, have traditionally done. I've always used Isaiah 58, 13, and 14 as a, a Sabbath proof text as to why we should worship on it. But while, while there is some applicability to that, right, it's really taking it out of context a bit because it's meant to be read as an entire chapter and as a method, right, a stair-step method right, for how we are to not only commune with God, but to commune with each other. So when you look at, look at that text, right, when God says to turn your foot away from the Sabbath, right, we've been trampling it. How have we been trampling it? Because we have been doing our will on that day and not his. Hmm. Where in this chapter did he define what his will or what his desire was? In verses 6 and 7, to feed the hungry, right, to, to clothe the naked, to take care of your families. So what he is telling us is that that day, the type of worship that he desires right, is for us to meet the needs of others mm. and not make it a self-centered thing, but let it be outwardly focused. One of the other things that we were talking about yesterday is with the Sabbath, we sometimes kind of take the Sabbath, put it up on our little pedestal, right? Not to be touched, not to be, you know, it's under that glass, right? Hermetically sealed. What God is telling us is that this is something that is meant to be not only shared amongst Adventists, but shared with the rest of the world. It allows for a connection between man and God and man to man. But how are we going to do that if we're not connecting with people, if we're not out there? So, go ahead. Well, well, it, 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 it is a responsibility that God has placed on us to share the Sabbath with others through service. So, but you mentioned something fascinating, and that was that you're coming to see the Sabbath as a source. Right. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, when we talk about the, the manner in, in which we do things, and there are a couple of quotes as we go further down in, in this presentation, that um, the Sabbath is the means by which we are sanctified, or it is a sign of sanctification. Right, in our connection with God. It is the method in which he makes us holy. That's what sanctification is, right? The process of making something holy. So when I mention that it, it is the source, it is really the wellspring in which um, our behavior and our attitudes are supposed to come from and spread throughout the rest of the week. As I mentioned, we'll get into this a little bit deeper, but um, the idea that Sabbath is more than just a day, right? When we come to the end of time 
and, and the world is angry at these Sabbath keepers. It's not just because they decide to go to church on that day. It is because the Sabbath is a sign that we represent the character of our creator. That's what angers Satan so much. That's what the world will turn against us for. Not just about that one day, but it's what that day means to those who serve the Lord. It's about the character transformation that they've experienced because they have chosen to honor God on that day. Yeah, so we're going to get more into this. We're actually going to get a little bit more into this today. But part of the Sabbath thing is that to the extent that God's people embrace the Sabbath lifestyle, which we'll expand on a little bit this morning, then neighbors are loved well. To the extent that the Sabbath is ignored and neglected as a principle of living, neighbor is neglected. So what's fascinating, and and we're going to get to this when we talk about Revelation 18, what's fascinating is that as the Christian world threw the Sabbath under the bus, we saw in society a proliferation of greed. Someone read this morning a quote from Mahatma Gandhi talking about the church and how the Christian church in America, this is like 1927, I think, the Christian church in America, they were, they were like, they had a passion for war and a passion for stuff. Revelation 18 is all about a church at the end of time, a religious political organization at the end of time that is obsessed with stuff, with greed, with power, and you can trace that back to throwing the Sabbath way of life under the bus. Mm -hmm. It's quite fascinating as these pieces come together. Here's a little bit more from Sigvi Tonstead. The rest, uh, oh, I got to change it on this one, sorry. The rest that marks cessation of God's activity is the pattern according to which human beings will order their lives. Human need may not be apparent at first, but the need is anticipated. When the need appears, the seventh day originally constituted as a day of rest is ready to meet it. So Sigvi sees something about the Sabbath essential in the human story. I want to go briefly to Exodus 20 to kind of flesh this out. So you know this text a little bit. Exodus 20, 8 through, 8 through I think it's 8 through 10. 8 through 11, I guess, technically. So remember the Sabbath day, quit working, but notice who doesn't get to work or, or who the work that's stopped. You don't do any work, but then notice this. Nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Very fascinating. The Sabbath is this place where this principle of humanity and even the created world needing care and kindness toward each other is enshrined. The way we treat our fellow human beings and the way we treat the created world finds its orientation in the Sabbath. Yeah, and I think that's a beautiful point that you're making. You know, um, in this world, right, when we're talking to those that don't share our beliefs, and we're talking about the Sabbath, we typically say, well, well, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's not the perspective that we should come at it in. It's that I choose not to, right? I choose not to engage in, in, in work. I choose not to engage in causing you to work because I desire for you to have that rest as well, right? So as a part of that service, I, 
I choose not to participate in that activities because I am honoring what God has asked me to, right? And by nature of his character, desiring that same rest for you. Yes, and the Sabbath also fundamentally establishes equality among human beings. Notice it. This is, this is an ancient text, right? And who gets priority in the ancient text? The Pharaoh. When the Pharaoh dies, people are killed to attend him to the afterworld. His servants are killed. His animals are killed to attend the Pharaoh. So there's this very hierarchical society. The Sabbath flattens that because God in principle is teaching his people through the Sabbath at this juncture between God and humans is teaching his people how to love neighbor well by saying, listen, you don't just look out for the people in your own household. Your servant is equal in access to rest with your children. You're the foreigner, the non-Israelite is equal in access to rest. The animal kingdom is an equal participant in the blessings that come to you in the Sabbath. So in the Sabbath, this compressed piece of time, God is reorienting his people to a life of care for others. And we're going to see that. We can't build on it now, but we're actually going to see this as we keep following the Sabbath thread. It's way more than a day. So we're going to go to Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 5. five. Um, so here's the text again to observe. And then the do no work. I want you to notice the connection here. Um, at the end of the text, notice this, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Equality, this human equality, fundamental to the paradigm of the Sabbath. And then notice the connection. Exodus 20, which I skipped, said creation. Notice this one. Remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And I think you mentioned something. Well, yeah, like these that. texts call us to remember that we were in bondage, right? Whether it's spiritual or physical, that God delivered the Israelites from their bondage, Christ has delivered us from our bondage, and we ought to do the same for others, wherever we can, whether it be spiritual or physical. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think we'll, we'll read this next piece from Ellen, and maybe you can read that for us. I've been yeah. rambling on for a minute. He declares that if they will return unto the Lord with all their heart, they shall be called repairers of the breach the restorer of the past to dwell in, then he distinctly shows them what this breach is. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, for they have been trampling it under their feet as a thing despised. So this really reinforces the point that we mentioned earlier, right? That, that in their misappropriation of how they honor the Sabbath, they were essentially trampling on it because they were inwardly focused. There was a selfish nature in the way in which they believed that they were honoring the Sabbath. And again, God is telling them, you need to turn this around, right? Mm. It's not about you, right? It's about those around you. So in serving those around us, we are honoring the Sabbath, right? We are lifting it on high. So just a few, the last few minutes, we're going to wrap this up, but the last few minutes, just coming back to Isaiah 6, um, Notice that, that text back, I'll jump you back to Deuteronomy 5.15, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. When we get to Isaiah 58 verse 6, it's quite fascinating that the first piece of the fast is about liberation. Notice it. 
Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, undo the heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free, and break every yoke? So it's fascinating that the first, the beginning piece of God's fast is this act, these different acts of liberation. Um, one of the things that, that I, I find fascinating is asking the question, what does it mean to fast? When we think of a fast, we think of denying oneself, right? To be spiritually closer to God. We put ourselves aside. And God's saying, listen, if you really want to fast, you really want to do, put yourself aside and align with me, you do that by putting yourself aside to love neighbor. And that act is the pinnacle act of coming closer to God. Exactly. And, and again, that's, that is his, his true focus. Um, in order for us to eradicate that selfishness, it's important for us to reach out to others. That is the mechanism that keeps self at bay. Whenever we decide to give of ourselves, it becomes difficult to remain a selfish individual. Mm -hmm. And that's what God is calling us to do, to look beyond what is important to me, right? To look beyond what is focused on me and really put our efforts into those around us. Mm -hmm. So I, I, the worksheet for this week, the study guide for this week, um, and you'd get it if you sign up for our weekly digital email. Um, I guess it's always digital, right? Email's always digital. Um, is, it was an invitation to go slowly through Isaiah 58, 6, and 7, and really think about its application in Brunswick or your neighborhood. If you're watching online, you may not be anywhere near Brunswick, but thinking about what does it look like, like if we look at our local community, what, what bonds need broken here? I mean, well, we, we can think of what it was like. It lists things here that were happening in Israel, but what does bondage look like in Brunswick? Right. Right. There have been activities that we've been involved in. We've had folks come in and, mm. and, and talk to us. Nicole from Safe Families. We have um, uh, the women's group. It's, the name is escaping me. Yeah, now. Courage Lives. Cur Courage Lives, right. Um, you know, there, there is no shortage of bondage right, that mm. we have in this community, whether it be uh, financially, uh, uh, dealing with you know, the, the substance abuse issue that we have. Um, I mean, that's to me what it looks like, what bondage looks like here in Brunswick, and something that we definitely have the opportunity to participate in right, and help um, uh, shepherd folks through. Mm -hmm. So then being the church of God, being a follower of Jesus here in Brunswick means that we identify those places of bondage, it could be addiction. I think you did mention addiction. And then we do what we can to step into that gap of addiction. You mentioned a couple things that we are doing, but this may be a neighbor. What does bondage look like in your neighborhood? Is it the mother who, who needs childcare in that gap? Or is it the family that's struggling to, to get the medication they need. They need someone to give them a ride. All of those, those pieces are ways that bondage is experienced. It could be and even in our own church family. Right. And, and it doesn't have to be a grandiose act. Right, exactly. We have talked a lot about over the past couple of years what the, what the pandemic has done right? and the amount of loneliness that people have mm. experienced. Right? Maybe it's simply a phone call, a knock on a door. 
right? I mean, that, that is spreading that love right? and the character of Christ. By sometimes these small acts that we do, we don't have to overcommit ourselves to this, this large idea, but it's the little things, right, that help us to build and make an impact in people's lives. That reminds me of a podcast I, I listened to by Malcolm Gladwell, where he was reflecting back um, on a, a situation where his family had helped with some ref, war refugees. And what he observed in his, his podcast is that no one in the podcast did anything heroic. But these, these refugees' lives were profoundly changed. So the guy who did the paperwork to help them that was needed for, for these refugees, it wasn't a heroic act. He, he was good at doing paperwork, it was easy for him, and he had fun doing it. So he was not doing anything sacrificial or heroic, but it profoundly impacted these children. And his point was that most of the time, what's needed to meet the need is not a heroic act. It's doing something we love to do as part of a community doing things they love to do that fit together like a puzzle piece. Together, you might say it's heroic, it's transformative, but individually, there's no sacrifice involved because, you know, doing paperwork is something I love and I know how to do, whatever your gift is. It, the acts themselves are not sacrificial, but they're transformative. Right. And I think that's what we need. It's exactly what you said, that those are the things. Maybe it's not sacrifice as much as you think it is. Maybe it's just doing what seems easy to you, but steps into a gap. Right, exactly. I know we're getting ready to wrap up, but I would like to read this last quote and then make a statement. Yeah, go for it. Those who would have the character of Christ must practice his teachings. They must study the pattern. Then they will reveal a Christ-like character in their association with one another, and their united influence will be exerted in helping to transform the character of others. They will, drink in the they will drink in the sympathy of Jesus and exercise the same forbearance, supporting, encouraging, and animating one another in the work, each, each being a vital member of the organized body, allied to Jesus, growing up into Christ, the living head, unto the full stature of men and women. Then they will shine as lights in the world, being, being of one judgment, moved by the same spirit. They will be a distinct power in the world, Dwelling in the light of the Son of Righteousness, we shall shine as lights in the mm. world. Another thing that I had mentioned to Nathan last night is, in my lifetime, I don't know if the character of Christ and the discussion about it has ever been more important. When we look at what's going on in the world, right, this, this incredible polarization, and we talk about the end times, and we can see events moving that, that, that are making people, as Nathan said earlier, seek after power to rule over others. How much more important is the character of Christ? And for us to, 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 to talk about it, but more importantly, represent the character of Christ to the world around us. To stand out, right? To be that peculiar people, not because of the way that we dress or what we eat, but because our character is so distinct from the way that the world reacts, we are so different that it causes Satan to want to put our lives to an end. Mm. That's what we need to focus on. Everything else will come. Once we make a marked decision that we 
want to align ourselves with Christ and his character, everything else will fall in line. Mm -hmm. Yep. Good place to end. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the incredible teaching from Isaiah. There's so much more that we could process together, but we're thankful for this time we've had, and we ask that you would teach us how to be merciful as you are merciful. That's what Jesus said. It was it meant to be like you? That's what we're finding in Isaiah 58. That's the thing that it means to be righteous, to have a character like you. God, do that in us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more content or to connect with us, visit us online at brunswickadventist.church.com.